So as, as we come to study here in uh, Acts, we're looking at this, I, I want to focus in on this uh, situation here in the passage where you have a separation that takes place between uh, these two great men and, and really, you know, good, very, very good friends and co-laborers in the gospel, but they, they just, you know, they come to a place where they can't agree about something and they, there is a parting of the ways. And so what I, what I want us to do is I want to look at the story and, and I want to just look at how they, how they navigated this as, as really a model of uh, when those kinds of things happen today, how we ought to um, navigate it as well, uh, looking at it kind of on a larger level of ministry, but then uh, ultimately applying it to our own personal lives because we all can have uh, disagreements at times with other Christians, and we need to know uh, the right way. There's a right and a wrong way to disagree, and so we want to um, lo look at that as we look at the story here. So just again, the background. So after the controversy over the uh, Gentiles' relationship to the law of Moses, after that was settled, uh, Paul and Barnabas returned to their ministry in Antioch. And so you remember they went up to Jerusalem, they had this big council, uh, the final decision was the Gentiles do not need to keep the law of Moses, and they wrote a letter and sent it out, and, and so these guys went back to the ministry that they had uh, previously been engaged in, in Antioch, uh, they went back to teaching and preaching God's word. And then after some time, Paul had the idea that they would revisit those churches that they had established on that first missionary journey. So he threw that out to Barnabas, and Barnabas agreed that that was a good idea. But Barnabas wanted to take uh, with them, he wanted to take John Mark. Now, just remember the background. John Mark is, first of all, he is the nephew of Barnabas. So there's a, you know, a family connection. Uh, John Mark went with them on the first journey, but the problem was he, he didn't follow through. He didn't stay with them the whole time for whatever reason. Um, and it sounds like it, you know, maybe he was frightened or something or just, he just wasn't up for it. He left, he left the mission. So when Barnabas says to Paul, great idea, let's go back and strengthen the churches. I wanna bring John Mark, Paul says, no way. We're not, we're not bringing him uh, because he left us previously. And so it says in verse 39 that the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So this is a, a pretty you know, serious moment because these two men were both great men of God in their own right and they were men who had been partnered in the ministry from the earliest days uh, of the earliest days of Paul's conversion. Barnabas was the one who had come alongside and, you know, affirmed him in his faith and, you know, introduced him to the apostles. And so, you know, they were great, they were great friends, obviously, and they were uh, a powerful team uh, together for the advancement of the gospel. Now, just on a, a side note, this is the last mention of Barnabas in the book of Acts. So from this point forward, 
the narrative is going to focus on the the ministry of Paul. And you know, the book of Acts it it has um, had had uh, those those segments where they there's kind of Luke is centering in uh, all those. There's a lot of activity going on. He's centering in on. Um, one person's ministry. So the early part of Acts, Peter is, you know, he, he's the one who's, the, the emphasis is kind of on his ministry. And then, but Barnabas comes in and he has a pretty uh, substantial uh, part that he's playing. And there's a lot that's said about Barnabas. And then of course, Saul becomes Paul and he's introduced. But the remainder of Acts from 16 forward, Luke is just really focusing on the ministry of Paul. So, um, so, and I say that because of this. Some people have said, well, you know, it was obvious that Paul was right and Barnabas was wrong because uh, Barnabas isn't mentioned anymore in Acts. Well, that's really not necessarily accurate. Uh, the reason Barnabas isn't mentioned anymore is because Luke is just focusing on Paul's ministry. And Paul, all the while, was the person that God was really raising up ultimately, you know, to be in the position of like a stronger leadership position. So, so that's the background. That's what, what was going on. And so here's what we want to do. We want to look at um, the way they... I want to look at, at how they handled this whole separation thing. But I want to look, first of all, at what they didn't do. And that's important, what they didn't do. Then I want to look, secondly, at what they did do. And then thirdly, I just want to uh, draw some lessons out from that. So... What they didn't do, number one, was they didn't disparage one another. So they had a sharp disagreement and they parted ways, but they didn't disparage one another. So in other words, uh, they didn't go off their separate ways and then start gossiping or slandering about the other person. You know, Paul didn't leave and say, yeah, Barnabas, you know, he just doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, I'm obviously the one who... Uh, you know, God's hand is on me and, and I know the right direction. And, you know, Barnabas is, he's, you know, he's off base wanting to take John Mark. Uh, they didn't do that. And likewise, Barnabas didn't do that. He didn't say, you know, Paul's this hard-nosed guy and nobody can work with him. And, you know, he's just, it's my way or the highway or, you know, whatever they might have said back then. Uh, but they didn't say that stuff. They handled it the right way. They just had a disagreement. They couldn't resolve it. And so they moved on. But they moved on without disparaging one another. Uh, secondly, they didn't call into question the validity of one another's ministry. It's kind of the same thing, but it, you know, it's a little bit of a different aspect because sometimes if there's a disagreement or a separation, one party or sometimes even both parties feel like we have to now question the validity of the other person's ministry. They didn't do that at all. They were both apostolic men. Uh, it was obvious that God's hand was upon them. So there was never any uh, suggestion from either one of them that the other's ministry was somehow not valid because of the, the incident that occurred. And Along with that same thing, uh, they, didn't, they didn't choose up sides. They didn't uh, say, hey, you're, you know, if you're with me, then you're not with them. 
And if you're with them, then you're not with me. They didn't do anything like that, which is really important to recognize because uh, what they didn't do, it it shows that they had a, a maturity level and that even though it was in some ways from a personal standpoint, it was probably an unfortunate break, but, but we'll see as we go on, it was a temporary situation, but you know, they just handled it maturely is, is what they really did by not doing these things. And so, you know, when, whenever there's a disagreement and people go separate ways and then, you know, somebody comes along and says, well, look, you know, you're either with me or you're, you're with them and you, you know, you've got to make a choice that, you know, when that's happening, you know that there's, um, this thing is being driven more by the flesh than by the spirit. So they didn't do those things. What did they do? Well, they separated amicably. They separated peacefully. They had, they had a disagreement and they were both, uh, (laughs) convinced that their, uh, view on the thing was the right thing. They couldn't resolve it between themselves. And so they just said, okay, we're going to go our separate ways. And remember, the mission was to go back and to revisit the churches that they had established. So Paul doesn't say, hey, no, Barnabas, you, you can't go because, you know, you're obviously wrong and you're going to, you know, if you go and try to, you know, further the mission, you're just going to mess things up. Um, it was like, okay, you go this way. Barnabas goes to Cyprus. That's where they originally started the mission. Barnabas was from Cyprus. He took John Mark. He sailed to Cyprus. He picked up the ministry there. And Paul takes Silas and he goes uh, a different route. Uh, Barnabas goes across on, on a ship, obviously, to the island. And then he sails from there to Pamphylia if he goes there. But Paul goes the land route. It could be that they reconnected at some point on the mission, maybe in the middle, and got things resolved. But they uh, separated amicably. They went forward with the mission. And here's the, the greatest part of the story, in my opinion, is they reunited for future uh, ministry. So this wasn't a, a permanent situation. It wasn't a break where they, they never reconciled the beautiful thing in scripture is that we see that uh, there was a reuniting for future ministry. How do we know that? As I said, Barnabas is done in the book of Acts. We don't hear anything more about him. But we know that because in Paul's epistles, he makes reference to his ministry partnership with Barnabas, and he speaks about that to the Corinthians. Now, the churches in Corinth were not even started at the point that we're at in the historical account here. So it's actually, you know, chapter-wise, it's chapter 18 when we get to the establishing of the church in Corinth. And listen to what Paul says in writing to the Corinthians. He asks them this question. He's talking, you know, it's a bigger topic, but he says to them, he says, is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? So it's clear from that simple statement that Barnabas and and Paul reunited for the ministry in, in Corinth. So they resolved their difference and they were, they were back together again um, doing ministry in Corinth. Uh, but not only Barnabas, uh, but also, excuse me, let me cough. Also, um, Mark. 
And we read in Colossians 4.10, uh, Paul again is speaking there, um, and he makes reference to Mark. He says to the Colossians, he says, um, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin, he, he was the nephew, uh, the relative of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And then in writing to Timothy, Paul's very last letter, he says to Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for me for ministry. So the problem was resolved. And although they, they would, you know, in the future, collaborate in ministry again, I think in one sense the separation was rather permanent in the sense that Paul had his team and Barnabas had his team. And as I want to point out in a moment in more detail, in the end that was a better thing because it made for more um, outreach potential. So some of the lessons that we can take away from this. Uh, number one lesson is solid, mature Christians sometimes disagree. And I say that because of this. You know, there, there's a tendency to think that if you're solid and mature, you're, you're never going to disagree uh, with people. Um, and people who do disagree, it, the problem is, uh, you know, some sort of immaturity or some uh, defect in their spiritual life. Not necessarily true. These guys are both obviously solid, mature Christians, right? They're, they're apostles. And they're leaders in the church, but they have a, a, this a disagreement. They just can't get over this hurdle. Um, Barnabas is sympathetic to John Mark. He wants to bring him along. Paul is adamant, like, no way. He's going to be a hindrance to what we're trying to do. And so they can't resolve the problem. And this does at times happen. And it's happened throughout the history of the church. But again, the, the important thing is that it, even if there's a disagreement, that you, you, you do it amicably. You do it without demonizing uh, the other person. And uh, back in the... Uh, 18th century revival, as it is called, there were two men who were very instrumental in this great move of God's spirit in England at the time. And their names were John Wesley and George Whitfield. And they were a team, kind of like a Barnabas and Paul type of a team. Uh, they were the, the dynamic duo of their generation. And they, they were in ministry together and they uh, you know, they, they preached the gospel together side by side and all of this, but they had a, a theological difference. And at a certain point, that theological difference began to kind of put a wedge between them. It wasn't a major difference, but it was definitely a difference. And so in the end, they ended up separating. And as a result... John Wesley went this direction. George Whitfield went this direction. And Wesley, quite frankly, didn't even handle it all that maturely. He couldn't help but taking pot shots at uh, Whitfield. Uh, Whitfield was more gracious and more kind and just sort of ignored it and didn't really you know, let it become an issue. But, but all that to say, 
they were both mature Christians in many ways, but they disagreed and they parted ways. And Paul and Barnabas were not the first people or, or the only people that this ever happened with. So secondly, disagreements and separations are not always a matter of right or wrong. Who was right in this situation? That, that's kind of what we, we look for so often, isn't it? We're looking for, well, well who, who was right? We, we tend to want to find the fault a lot of times. But you know what? Who was right in this? I don't know that anybody could with absolute certainty say, um, you know, Paul was right or Barnabas was right. I think really um, you, you have to kind of just look at the, the situation and realize that in some ways these men were both uh, acting according to their personalities and according to some degree to their giftings. And you could kind of see it like this, I think. Barnabas, as was his nature and as was his, his ministry gifting, Barnabas was more concerned about the person. Paul, as was his gifting and as was his personality, he was more concerned about the mission. So Barnabas, this is, remember, we did a study on Barnabas. Barnabas was the son of encouragement. That's what he did. He encouraged people. So the, the person who was, you know, downcast, the person who might have failed, the person who was maybe, you know, a bit on the outside, Barnabas was the guy that's going to come along and he's going to pick that person up and say, hey, come on, let's, let's get back in the race. Let's go. And Paul, on the other hand, Paul is, he's like the guy with the forehead of flint. He has just got his mindset and we're going here, we're going to do this, and anything that is going to detract from that, anything that's going to get in the way of that, we're not, we're not going to have that. So in a sense, they were, they were both sort of just acting in accordance with, I think, their personalities and um, in their gifting. I mean, you know, in reading through the book of Acts, the last time I actually had a, my own personal reading through the book of Acts here, and I'm the you know, one of the biggest Paul fans there, there is, um, I, I read this here and I thought, gosh, Paul was kind of a jerk on this occasion, you know? <laughs> what was he so hard-nosed about? But obviously there was something that, you know, really bothered him about the, you know, Barnab uh, uh, John Mark that, you know, he, no, he didn't go with us. He didn't, you know, he wasn't tough enough. Well, we don't know exactly why he left, as I said, but, uh, but, we, we need to avoid having to draw the conclusion that there's, you know, somebody's right and, and somebody's wrong. So, and like I already alluded to, sometimes there are theological differences. Sometimes there are what you would call methodological differences. A methodological difference is, is just what it sounds like. It's a, a different method. Somebody says, you know, I think this is the way we should do it. And somebody says, no, we shouldn't do it that way. We should do it this way. And oftentimes it's not even theological. Sometimes it's theological, meaning that there's a, a doctrinal disagreement. And as I've said in previous teachings, uh, unless the doctrine is major doctrine, unless it's doctrine upon which salvation hinges, it's that those are the kinds of things that we have to learn to agree to disagree agreeably over. 
We have to be able to say, well, you know what? I don't see it that way. I don't really agree with that, but um, I'm not going to become disagreeable, and I'm not going to um, try to cast uh, aspersions on this person or question the validity of their calling or gifting. Those are the things that our flesh naturally uh, gravitates towards, toward, so we have to fight against it. Um, sometimes it's a philosophical difference, again, like a philosophy meaning I think this way about it and therefore I want to move in this direction. Um, and, and like I've already alluded to, sometimes it's a temperament difference. You know, people have different temperaments. People have different personalities that weigh in on these things. And, and sometimes it just comes down to they just no longer can see eye to eye on things. But here's the third point. Disagreement that leads to separation, if handled maturely, can be beneficial for the greater purpose of the kingdom. And I think when I look at this, I think that in the end, this is one of those things where in God's sovereign purposes, you know, th this personality conflict is really in the end going to be beneficial for the kingdom. How is that? Because you've got two strong leaders who are doing everything together, but now they're going to separate. They're still going to be strong leaders. So you're going to have double the, uh, the effort that you had previously. And I think that's the, the way to understand that, that you know, sometimes, um, you know, we might even, and I know I, I've done this at times over the years, you know, you're, you're, you're connected with somebody and you're going along side by side and you're doing ministry together, but then, and, and you realize that, man, this person is gifted and, you know, you see that and, you know, there's kind of that mutual recognition, uh, but then there's a point where you realize, you know, we, we could do a lot more if we just went in a little bit of a different direction. But sometimes even the friendship itself will prevent you from doing that. It's like, oh, but no, we, we just want to stick together. And sometimes it can be like a little bit of a disagreement that comes in that, that it starts to stir you up a little bit and make you realize that, well, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's time to do something different. I've seen this happen over and over again, especially in the context of missions. People go out on the mission field, they go out arm in arm, you know, brothers, we're going to go out and conquer this, you know, continent or country for Jesus. And they do that and they do it well. They do it effectively for some time, but then they suddenly have some kind of a disagreement. If they can do, if they can deal with that maturely and decide to separate maturely, actually the, the, the ministry can be doubled. But again, so often there's the tendency to drift back and start to, uh, you know, point the finger at the other person and criticize and, you know, want people to think you're right and they're wrong and all of that. So um, we have to recognize that sometimes God allows these things for the purpose of expanding the work. And, and like I'm saying, if we look at it maturely, we can just say, okay, well, yeah, I get it. These guys think this and he thinks that. And therefore, you know, we've got a difference of opinion that's irreconcilable, but it's not um, a major doctrinal difference. It's just a, you know, methodology 
philosophy, maybe a bit theological. And we can, we can see it in a positive light instead of in a negative light. Now, so those are some of the lessons that you might take away from this. But there are two things that I want to say as we come to a close. Uh, number one, two more personal kinds of things. Um, number one, there, the context of all this is obvious as we're talking about. We're talking about ministry. We're talking about two leaders. We're talking about those kinds of things that for you, you're sitting here going, well, how does this relate to me? Because I'm not, you know, I'm not a ministry leader. I'm not an apostle. I'm not a church planter. I'm not that. Well, here's how it relates to you. You are a Christian and you will have disagreements with other Christians at times. It's just part of life. How are you going to handle those disagreements? That's the question. Are you going to handle them maturely and in a Christ-like way, or are you going to handle them immaturely and in a uh, unchrist-like way? Because the sad thing is often, uh, when it comes to conflict, personal conflict, a lot of times we just throw out everything that Jesus taught us about how to deal with that stuff, and we just go right into the realm of the flesh, and we try to self-justify. We want everybody to know that we're right and that person's wrong. We want everybody to understand why they should agree with us and not you know, side with that person. And then we look just like anybody else. We, we, you know, people are looking on like, wow, that's what Christians do? And this happens all the time. This is not uncommon. And with this picture here, one of the things we see for us practically and personally is this is how you handle a disagreement. You might disagree. How do you handle it? Well, you handle it just like this. You don't demonize the other person. You don't try to, you know, set up sides and make people choose whose side you're going to be on. You do your best to disagree amicably, just say, you know, we, we just see differently on that. And you keep your focus on, you know, they, they had to keep their focus on the mission. And on a more personal level, we have to keep our focus on, you know, I want to keep growing in the Lord. I want to keep walking forward in the Lord. Because the reality is things like unforgiveness and bitterness and these kinds of conflicts and things, these things, if they are allowed to go the way of the flesh, they will strangle your life spiritually. They'll, they will choke the very life of the spirit right out of you. And although you'll be a Christian, you'll be a miserable Christian. And you'll be the kind of Christian that nobody really wants to be around because you're so miserable. And you'll be a troublemaking Christian as well because you know, you're spreading gossip and rumors and all, all of that kind of stuff. That, that, that happens. But here we see two men, who's right, who's wrong, who knows? That's not the point. How did they handle the separation? They handled it maturely. They handled it in the right way. And so we wanna take away that uh, personal lesson there. And you know, as I, as I was saying about the more you know, ministry uh, kinds of things. 
the church, one of the biggest problems with, in the entire history of the Christian church has been division. It's a huge problem, and it's something that Jesus is obviously grieved over because his prayer in John chapter 17 uh, over and over again was for unity. Father, I pray that they would be one even as we are one. And so all of the division that has existed uh, throughout the long history of the church, and, and so much of it is with us today. And it's not Division is not simply that there's this denomination and that denomination and this other denomination. Uh, those don't necessarily have to be understood as division in the negative sense. Because you can actually appreciate different denominations and their emphasis on minor things that you differ with them on but recognize simultaneously that, you know what, regardless of that, they're still God's people, they're still serving the Lord, they're still uh, being used for the expansion of the kingdom, and so although I don't wanna join their denomination, I can say, well, God bless that denomination because God's using them in a way that he's not using us. And he's using us in a way that, uh, that he's not using them. So as long as there's uh, agreement on the, the core doctrines of salvation, the person of Christ and God and the Bible and you know, faith and redemption and all that. As long as there's agreement on that, then we can have these other disagreements. But we shouldn't, like I'm saying, we shouldn't uh, demonize the other group. We have to be careful. So I think I mentioned to you that a few weeks ago we had a meeting here um, where there were about 20 different pastors from churches in the county and just working on building relationships. And, you know, we, we've actually just been thinking about, there's 3 million people in Orange County, 3.3 million apparently. And, you know, how do you reach 3.3 million people? Well, the truth of the matter is no one church is gonna do that, right? But we, we need to understand that we're all the church. So our question in this group of guys that I've been spending some time with is, you know, how can we partner together for the furtherance of the gospel in our county? And so we got together and we've talked and we've prayed about it. And, and you know, here's what we thought. We thought, well, rather than put on a big event and say, hey, we're all doing this together. We're partnering together. Rather than doing that, we're all busy, nobody has time for another event. Um, we said, why don't we do this? Why don't we just develop friendships amongst ourselves and just build a natural connection? And then when an opportunity comes, we're already connected with each other. And then we'll just sort of naturally partner toward it because we already have the connection. So they said, that sounds like a great idea. We all agreed with that together. It sounds like a great idea. So our sort of initial step in doing that was this meeting we had a couple weeks back now where we had 20 pastors, like I said, and they brought some of their staff in and we prayed together and we worshiped together and we had a little bit of conversation and sharing together. And I, I walked away from that thinking, thank you, Lord, what an amazing time. And I know everybody in the room felt the same way. But the crazy thing is this has become uh, 
a center of gossip for some Christians. Did you hear what they did at Calvary Costa Mesa? Did you hear what Pastor Brian did? He had other Christians there for fellowship. And that's bad. How is that bad? I don't get that. But, but you know, this is the kind of thing that's happening. And hey, I'm not saying any of this to you know, justify myself or get anybody you know, to feel sorry for me or be on my side. God gifted me with um, the hide of a rhinoceros. I do not care. <laughs> if I cared, I couldn't keep going. But seriously, I, <clears throat> I don't care. I, but it saddens me. It saddens me to think that really this is what Christians get together and talk about? They get together and talk about that horrible unity thing that's happening over there? That's sad. That's really pathetic. And so God help us. Um, God help us not to do that. God help us not to, uh, you know, just have that, that, that kind of mentality. But God help us to just say, Lord, you know, you're... Your church is big, and I thank you that I'm part of it and that we're part of it, and we want to bless what you're blessing. And even if we're not doing it, but if you're, you're working, you know, again, when these guys separated, they separated with the full uh, desire that, that one another be blessed. And like I've already pointed out, they came together for further ministry in the future and, you know, I, I even wonder if, um, because, you know, when you read what Paul says later about Mark, I wonder if at a certain point, Paul might have turned to Barnabas and said, you know, you were right. Yeah, I, I know. I was a bit hard-nosed about that. And, you know, <laughs> he, he might have done that because Barnabas was right, because Mark was restored. And that's the, the final point that I want to make. God gives us room to grow and new opportunities to serve, even if we failed in the past. You know, Barnabas was really, in this case, he was really demonstrating, uh, I think in a beautiful way, the, the heart of Jesus. Because restoration is the heart of Jesus. And like I said, we don't know uh, why, why Mark left on that first mission. Um, was he... He was afraid. He, he got overwhelmed. He just felt like it's too rigorous. I can't do it. Whatever. We don't know why he left, but we know that he, he left. I mean, Paul understood that in Paul's mind, he left for the wrong reason. And you know, I am absolutely certain that the devil wanted Mark to think after that point that, man, you had your chance. You had your opportunity to serve God, but you blew it. You left, and the Apostle Paul was mad at you. So there's, there's, there's no future ministry for you. I know, because that's the way the devil operates, I know that kind of stuff was going through Mark's head. But when Barnabas said, come on, let's go. We're going to go. I'm going to take you now to the places that we've been. And, and Mark went for it, and it just shows the, the restoration and the fact that the Lord is, is looking to bring us beyond our weaknesses and beyond our struggles and beyond our unbelief and beyond our fear and even beyond our sin. Because you know, some people, they get 
sidelined because of sin. But guess what? If you repent of that sin, you know what? God will put you back in the game. Maybe not in the same position that you were in before, but, but he'll put you back in the game because that's what he does. He restores. And listen to this. Here's an interesting thing about Mark. Mark, um, although we've already seen he gets reconciled to Paul and Paul speaks you know, very favorably toward him, um, listen to this. This is from Peter. 1 Peter 5.13. At the end of Peter's letter, he says this to his to his audience. He says, she who is in Babylon, he's speaking of either a, a person or maybe the church in a feminine, using the feminine. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. So here's the interesting thing. It seems that Paul, so he took Silas and went his way and they went to Derby, and there Saul or there Paul met Timothy. And now, for the rest of the story, um, even though it doesn't appear so much in the book of Acts, we know that Timothy became um, Paul would actually refer to him just the exact same way Peter referred to Mark. Mark, my son. Paul would refer to Timothy as his son. So Timothy becomes the person that, that Paul is going to invest everything in and, and sort of pass his ministry off to. But Mark becomes that for Peter. And even though he did turn back at that point, the restoration was that he re-entered ministry with Barnabas, he reconnected with Paul, and then he landed and seemingly more permanently with Peter. And I'm, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but he is the author of the Gospel of Mark, this guy that we're talking about, this guy that left, this guy that Paul said, forget it, we're not taking him with us. You know, No, he blew it. He's the guy who wrote the second Gospel. And that's where you see the, the you know, kind of the fullness of the restoration. Now, uh, an early church historian named Eusebius, uh, Eusebius said that Mark was the interpreter of Peter. In other words, what scholars, some scholars believe, is that Mark's gospel is really Peter's gospel. You ever wonder why, well, why didn't Peter have a gospel? I mean, he's like the, the guy, right? Uh, but there's no gospel according to Peter. There's a gospel according to John. There's a gospel according to Matthew. Then, of course, Luke. And Mark... He's Peter's son in the, the spiritual sense. And so Eusebius tells us that Mark actually penned uh, the gospel uh, that Peter dictated to him. So point being, you see the beautiful restoration that God brings about and reconciliation and future usefulness and ministry opportunity uh, for Mark. So... Good men, godly men are sometimes going to disagree. And they're going to go in different directions, perhaps methodologically or philosophically, or maybe even have some minor doctrinal differences. But God will bless them both. God will bless both directions as long as the focus is on Jesus. And 
we need to not fall into the trap of the devil and get into that pointing fingers and, you know, they must be wrong and they've got to be right and here's one side and there's the other and you better get on one side or the other. That's all the flesh. And God help us uh, not to do that. And, and I just want to say this word to any of you today that maybe in just some way Mark's story resonates with you in the sense that you, maybe you were in ministry even at a point in time, but you were sidelined. Maybe you sidelined yourself because of fear or, uh, you know, distraction. Maybe, maybe it was even sin that caused you to be sidelined. And maybe you think that, well, there's, there is no, you know, I'm done. I had my, I had my moment and I, I blew it. That's not true. And let Mark remind you of that. God has future opportunity for you and he, he will bring you along and you just yield yourself back to him. And I also want to say, going back to the gospel of Mark, speaking of the gospel, the gospel, of course, is the, the primary message initially to the unbeliever that God loves you, that your sin that separated you from God has been taken care of by Jesus on the cross through his death, and that if you receive him into your life, make him your Lord by saying, I believe in you, Jesus, I give you my life, if you do that, then you enter into that blessing of the gospel. You enter into that new life. And if, if you haven't done that, then today's the day. And as I have said many times before, this is a personal decision, personal in the sense that you, you have to decide for yourself. You can't, somebody else can't decide for you. And I say that because oftentimes when you ask a person a question, maybe like, hey, hey, are you a Christian? You know, they, they will give you an answer like, well, my mother is. That is fantastic. Your mother is a Christian. She probably prayed for you. You're probably, uh, maybe you're even here today because your mother prayed for you. And you felt guilty that, about never going to church. And so you're here today. But listen, you have to receive the gospel yourself. And until you receive the gospel, you're on the outside. But the moment you receive the gospel, the moment you receive Jesus, the moment you turn from your own direction in life and turn to him and say, Lord, I receive your forgiveness, he comes into your life. And so maybe you're here today and you've not done that. In just a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. You know, I had a conversation with a young man last night and um, he's a person who grew up in you know, with the knowledge of the Lord, but has made decisions to do something else. And, you know, he said to me, he said, you know, there's just, I just have all these questions. Oh, you know, why did God do this? And how come he allows that? And, you know, we, we talked about that for a while. And I said, you know, look, that, I, I understand all of those struggles and those questions, but you could live your whole life and never have those questions satisfied or answered satisfactorily. I said, but you know, here's the thing. If you come to, if you just give your life to Jesus, he will either answer those questions for you 
in a satisfactory fashion, or you will realize that I don't even care about those questions anymore. See, the thing is, coming to Jesus, coming into a relationship with the one who loves you, died for you, rose again, and has a plan for your life. So as we close today, if, uh, if you've never received Christ, you've never responded to the gospel, then we're going to give you a chance to do that. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for even a story like this, where we see two great men who just can't agree on something. They separate, but they do it in the right way. And good things uh, in the end come from it. So Lord, whether it's on a larger level of church activity, church leadership, or whether it's just the personal relationships that we have with other Christians, Lord, help us in our disagreements. Help us to be mature. Help us to remember that we're all the children of God. Help us to act and speak and behave in a fashion that is consistent with our claim to be followers of Jesus. Help us to do that. And Lord, I, I pray also for anyone today who's with us, who's never received you personally. They've heard about the gospel, but they've never made the gospel their own good news. I pray that you would help them today to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.